Welcome back to Coach and Kern, and we're on episode 21, and we're with our panel of resident experts. I'm back today, Dave D'Agostino, as your co-host. I'm with America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kern. And Kevin, welcome back to the show today. I know you were on assignment yesterday when we had Justin Orenduff here. Did a great episode on our Real Voices of the Game on his DBS system. I know you wrote a tremendous article on him earlier in the year. Uh, also joined by Bull, our 40-year-plus expert in professional baseball, coach scout player. Uh, he will known, be known as Bull as in the witness protection program here at Coach and Kernan. And Sal Marinello, our resident performance coach. Guys, welcome back. We had a spirited conversation. I guess that was our version of a vigorous warm-up that we don't see a lot in Major League Baseball right now. So nobody's going to pull a hammy or tweak a foot today. So welcome back to the show. Good to, Good be, to be here. here. Yep. Yeah. Great, great to be back, guys. I, I know our last episode, Sal, we kind of we kind of cut it short on the injury stuff, and we've seen more and more happen here. We saw Matty Carpenter, I think he fractured his foot or did something to his foot last night. But I want to talk about a, a statement that Dr. James Andrews made the other day and get your guys' comments. He's the surgeon to the stars out there. He said athletes ages 14 and under should have a two-month break with no organized leagues or intense training. Three to four months would be better. Do conditioning, flexibility, and strength work. I want to kind of throw that out there and let you guys have at it. I'll let Sal go because that's wheelhouse. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Andrews has been saying that for years. I mean, uh, I've had discussion with colleagues about his position, and we've mentioned it that, you know, he's been saying that for years. He's got a simple solution to what's become this complex problem. It's been turned into one. The problem is still not complex. It's been made complex. And, you know, we've talked about that concept of fragility and anti-fragility. Um, you know, Taleb wrote about it in the con- uh, in the context of uh, economics and the business cycle and our economy. But it, it, and he really does not get into sports with this with this concept, but it's totally applicable to sports. And we're seeing how by making all of these complex systems, we've actually made our athletes literally physically more fragile and we're seeing it and now you know carpenter i happened to see that last night he fouled the ball off of his foot so you know those are things that you can't um you can't fix or you can't avoid but there were two guys in the in the met red game in the first two innings both hurt themselves running to first base so that's the the, those are the things that are ludicrous run to first base you expect major league players to run to first base come on yeah well and you know a lot of it i've seen like okay i i don't watch as much baseball as you guys but i've seen how many clips now of guys hurting their foot because of how they land on the bag and in just a in watching film for a couple of minutes their 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 running technique is so poor that they don't have their foot under their hip and they've been taught and conditioned to reach and overstride, and that just puts the body in jeopardy, regardless of the sport and regardless of the activity in the sport. Running to first base where your foot's not under your hip and you're not properly positioned is trouble when you hit the bag because what happens is they hit that front corner because they're trying to get there, but they're slowing themselves down, And um, they're putting their foot in jeopardy, which is not probably strong enough to do that anyway. You know, for all the people who hate when guys dive into first base, to be honest with you, with the way these guys run, they'd be better off diving into first base. Yeah, I have a simpler solution. I think we're just getting so dumb as a society across the board, and there's no common sense. 
and it's got it's not to do with just injuries it's to do with everything and i think in life in general we have never been dumber really when it comes to common sense survival instinct solutions and these baseball players i see it i saw it coming years ago they believe any bag of bs they are told and because they want to be better players and and the reality is they've stopped working at things that make them better players i mean i watched I watched a bunch of games last week. The, I would say the only team, I'm, I'm going to really bring this down to a number of teams. I, I could be wrong here, but I think the Mets are one of the few teams playing baseball. The other teams are playing some sport that I hate, and and you're seeing the results of it. The Dodgers are playing baseball. I watched them against the Padres. They're still playing baseball. Most of the teams are not playing baseball. They're not preparing for baseball. And they're just being, quite frankly, dumbasses because they they have elites running every team who don't know anything about the game. And I'm going to get into it later because, uh, and again, this is for, we're talking about kids here. We're trying to make you a better ball player. Find a ball player that actually plays like a ball player and emulate him. Don't emulate these other clowns. And uh, emulate the player that knows how to play the full game, is into the game, a DJ LeMahieu type. There's a million of them. You know, uh, there's, there's still a lot of great ballplayers. McNeil, um, uh, right across the board with the with with the, a lot of the Mets pitchers, and um, and and Vogelback. I mean, he's out of shape. We get it. He's a big guy, but he's always been big, so it's a different thing. But he's an athlete. Uh, so so start playing baseball with baseball in mind. As silly as that sounds, and I'm going to get to it later. I don't know. I'll let Dave get. Uh, point the, the show in the right direction, but at some point we got to get to the place at home plate because I have some really, I have some on fire dropping bombs comments about yeah, that. Yeah, no, we definitely will. We, uh, as you saw on Twitter yesterday, we had uh, Jeff Fry and I were going back and forth with some people on it. We brought Tom Griffin into it, who's one of the best catching coaches in the country, and um, we've not only plays at home plate. I think we all saw the Gary Sanchez situation. Um, they're take they're taking baseball moving it into, as you said, Kevin, into a sport that's a little unrecognizable now by taking away the fundamentals of preparation. Bull, go ahead. You had something you wanted to add. Yeah, I, um, over the weekend, uh, I was scouting, but I, uh, growing up in the Philadelphia area, uh, the yeah. Phillies do a tremendous job of their alumni weekend, and they, they brought their 1980 World Series team in that I grew up watching as, and admiring those players. And I was actually playing in the minor leagues when they won the World Series. And that same year was a great year. I, we won the Southern League for me. And then my hometown Phillies won their first World Series uh, ever in 1980. But uh, the star players were, you know, sitting up in the booth during the game every inning, they would bring people in and Steve Carlton and Larry Boa and Pete Rose and Bob Boone. And they just talked person after person about how good of a baseball team they had. The group was together all year. They added some pieces late um, that were from their own system, but they talked about, how disappointed they are in watching the game today and how many bad baseball teams there are, which lends to what Kevin just said. Um, you know, Pete Rose, you know, it was great to hear him on there. And, you know, he just said, he said, he said, I, I can't believe how badly the game's being played. It's sad to watch. 
Yeah. And, you know, they won championships. You won championships. We've, we've all been around them and a part of them. Share with the kids out there, you know, you just don't show up and win a championship. A lot of what we're getting to is there's preparation. Uh, it's a byproduct of doing things the right way. And that's, I guess that's what we're all kind of seeing. We're not, not seeing things done the right way day in and day out. No, uh, we, you know, in 1980, we won the Southern League. And we beat two really good teams to win the Southern League. Um, we took BP and infield every day. You know, I can remember our position players in August going, my gosh, I wish he'd give us a day off. But we took infield and BP just about every day. You know, the one time we didn't was when we had a rain delay and went from Memphis to Savannah and had a five o'clock doubleheader and got in at four o'clock to the hotel and ran over to the ballpark and played a doubleheader. So, um, you you know, we worked. We threw bullpens. Uh, we worked every day. All I had was a manager, but he watched our pitchers throw and play catch. And what we talked about yesterday with Justin, you know, about guys that develop bad habits playing catch. You know, we were to, we were out there to work on something. You're on the baseball field. You work. You work on something all the time. Tell the story about the one one. And you don't have to use the pitcher's name if you don't want. But uh, there was a, a pitcher you came across in your time that was, for all practical purposes, should have been a phenomenal pitcher. But yeah. because of that bad habit playing catch, share that story. Yeah, he was a uh, a relief pitcher who had had some really good years for an American League club and uh, got into the free agent market and went over to a, a National League club and uh, really struggled. Um, and they could not figure out what the issue was. And I had a friend that worked for the American League club and he actually did some digging for to, to find out, you know, why, you know, you know, why his front side is so soft and he's making so many flat mistakes. And they said he is one of the laziest players of catch when we do our work every day. And if you are not there to make sure that he firms up his front side like he's supposed to in a game as a pitcher, then all he does is create a bad habit that he takes into the game and he ends up making tons of flat mistakes and getting hit as opposed to being someone who throws the ball down with late life when he stays close. Well, what do you mean by firming up your front side? Just so everybody understands. Well, you know, you know, when you, you know, when you play catch, you know, one of the first things that you want to do is you want to step and throw where you're, where you're throwing on a straight, straight line. So your front shoulder, your head is still, your 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 front elbow is pointing where you're throwing. You get up on top of the ball. You step and throw and let it go and throw the ball through the person you're playing catch with. And when you do that, you're creating a good habit. But when you're when you're head jerking and flying open, trying to create more velocity, or just not throwing properly, and that's like one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of young pitchers do is they fly open because they're trying to create more velocity. And one of the things I always say is do less to do more. You know, when you stay in control in your body, you're, you're going to end up doing more. Your, your body's going to stay connected better. And just a message to the kids out there. You're hearing talk, all of our guys talk about habits. Habits do not have emotion, kids and coaches out there. 
good or bad when you're doing something you're developing in a habit. So you might as well make it good because it takes twice as much energy, maybe more to redo that. So first time around, have that locked in concentration and build a good habit. Dave's also by he said a key thing that most people don't understand throw through throw through the person you're throwing in other words don't just reach them don't just lob it and try to make it there like you're throwing a bunch of eggs throw the ball through the person well yeah just just quickly I'll share the other thing I told you guys yesterday is when uh when Cal and Billy Ripken opened up their Aberdeen uh, baseball complex, they loved to go out and watch the kids play. And I remember them sharing a story with me that they were, they, they used to pick the winners by watching the other teams, the two teams play catch. And they were right like 99.9% of the time the team that came out and the kids were hitting me, their partner in the chest. They were, you know, kind of like somebody had taught them how important part of the game that is. And, you know, I, I shared Cal Ripken seniors thing was it's a simple game of playing catch. The pitcher plays catch with the catcher. The uh, hitter hits a ground ball to the shortstop. The shortstop fields it and plays catch with the first baseman. If the ball's hit to the outfielder, the right fielder plays catch with the cutoff man. So, you know, they were able to, to, to decide who the winner was going to be just by watching kids play catch, which is, you know, the truth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sal, go ahead. You wanted to throw something in here. Well, I just think a lot of those, you know, it, I, I'm not – really trying to be a one trick pony, but where we'll all look, everyone's looking for these complicated answers or uh, to these problems. And it's because the overall conditioning level of everybody has declined. And it's more noticeable in athletes because they're the ones that still are expected to go out and, and perform at a high level. You know, they've done stuff at the military to dumb down the physical requirements. They've done stuff in phys ed to dumb stuff, uh, to d- dumb down the physical ed curriculum. Th- that it affects everybody. The coaches and the constant um, playing that's involved in sport. Uh, Jack, I believe Jack Cust mentioned it during your during the podcast last week. You know, they their club is trying to also keep practice up in the summer, not just play games. But all those things are have whittled away our capability level. And it's obvious with these athletes, you know, you'll never get a lazy athlete who is strong and you'll never get that person to perform as well as they should be. It's just impossible. It gets back to my point about dumbing down. We've dumbed down as a country in every way. And Sal, tell us about clogs. What do you think about kids wearing clogs? Well, I think again, we, so I've mentioned this before. Uh, It's shocking to me. The, lack of range of motion and the weakness, literal weakness in the foot that I have seen in every athlete I've gotten over the last 10 years, male, female, from the age of 12 or 13 on into some guys who've played high D1 football and lacrosse and professional lacrosse. They can't extend their ankle and that just lends itself to a whole bunch of problems. Now, part of that is I cannot tell you Again, you would not believe how many athletes go through practices without tying their shoes. 
Uh, I was a strength coach at a D1 college, and they were coming off the court and would come to me for some movement and cool down. Not one guy of a 15-man roster D1 squad had their ankles, uh, had their shoelaces tied. All that stuff is bad for the foot and bad for the ankle. I had to make them tie their shoes. Um, dumbing down, dumbing down of America. Kids wear example. slides all the time, which don't allow you or clogs don't allow you to fully range your ankle, go through a full range of motion. There's no more free play. No kids don't climb and run and jump and do things in three dimensional, three dimensions spontaneously. All those things contribute to lack of overall conditioning and capability levels. I like that. If you look at a stat right now, ten uh, percent of salaries in Major League Baseball are being paid to injured pitchers. And I'd, I'd say that's on the conservative side. So much like the strikeout, we're paying guys to strike out more. We're paying pitchers to be hurt. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a frightening and alarming stat. I, I want to move to uh, – I'll go ahead, both. You want to hit on this? Just, just, just quickly, um, that's just on the Major League roster. Go through yeah. the minor league system, and it's, uh, it's absolutely unbelievable how many guys are on DLs. Uh, some of them are fake DLs because they have, uh, since they cut back, they have roster issues and you're only allowed to have so many players. So if you put them on a 60-day DL, they don't count towards your 180 minor league players you're allowed to have. But there's still just way, 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 way too many injuries. It's uh, it's sad to see. I, I wanted to move to, I know, Kevin, you had texted me on this. I think we were all going back and forth. You brought this up last week, Kevin, with the epidemic of pop-ups, both to our real voices of the game guests and on uh, on our show here with the panel of resident experts. We caught Jaron uh, Jaron Dern, young outfielder for the Boston Red Sox, and I know he's not the only one. But talk a little bit about that. What, what we saw yesterday with him—not just the inability to catch a ball, but the, the response and body language afterwards. Well, so it happened Sunday. He uh, he lost another ball. And again, he doesn't even know how to lose a ball properly by putting your hands out. Like, hey, I don't know where it is, so maybe you can get help from a teammate. He just stands there, like a, like, you know, just stands there like a mannequin. Ball landed about, you know, seven inches away from him. Became a triple. Then he tried to get out by the wall. He misplayed a ball by the wall. That became another triple. He did make a nice diving catch, but again, he misplayed the ball by the wall because uh, they were playing on the road. And these outfielders, especially most of them, don't even work anymore and don't understand they're playing on the road and what the wall does. They don't know where it is. They don't play balls off the wall. I told Tony Gwynn used to take tons of balls off the wall whenever he visited a new city. Um, all the good outfielders did. And uh, they don't do that anymore. They're lazy. And he's also – he made this mistake about three weeks ago against the Yankees and didn't chase the ball. And then he said, well, maybe next time I'll take a couple steps. You know, so he had his next time Sunday – Fans were getting on him as well, and he started firing back at the fans. Sounds to me like he's a spoiled brat, and 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 the uh, the Red Sox have allowed him to move up at his pace. They haven't held him accountable to be a better outfielder, and this is what you get. And I love Alex Cora, but Alex, this is what you get when you when you baby players and keep babying Red Sox. Keep keep Pine Bloom in charge and and bringing these guys in. And uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna continue to stink. So that's you get what you deserve. And this kid, if it's, this kid should have been out the next day, and I've been in these situations. Uh, and, and again, I was waiting for a second time to see if that was just a fluke, 
You know, because everybody has a bad day. I mean, I remember one day when I was very young, I'm in the outfield, I misjudged, I broke my nose. It happens, you know? So um, so it happens. But I was waiting for the next time to see how he reacted. And he reacted more like a spoiled brat the second time than the first time. And that tells me what he's all about as a player at this stage in his career. And if he doesn't clean it up, he's going to have he's going to have issues all the way through. And again, the Red Sox get what they make. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, you know, for the kids out there, too, body language is a window to your mental toughness. And I watched the end of that, uh, the body language on the mistakes. Uh, you mentioned a, a great phrase, and this goes to pregame Verdugo, preparation. Verdugo had, Verdugo had to come over and, and help and keep my wife from the fans. Verdugo, yeah. who's, oh, you know, he can be emotional himself. But I give yeah. Verdugo a lot of credit. I do. I give Verdugo, I want to make sure I give Verdugo credit, not just ripping Durant. Yeah. What, what, what is work in the wall, Kevin? You mentioned Tony Gwynn work on the wall. That's a pregame well, thing. If you're that a corner outfielder, you see how the ball bounces off the wall, you know, all the, all the corn, you know, and you see your good outfielders, you'll see them get to a position when a ball's clearly headed for the wall and boom, they play the rebound perfectly. It comes right to them. That's a guy who's worked the wall, knows how the wall's going to react. What you see a lot on visiting teams, especially center fielders, is they're going out there feeling for the wall on high flies uh, by the wall and and um and and they can't find it because they don't know how many steps like for example um um the uh you know you, you know you take three or four steps on the dirt you're going to hit the wall but these guys don't even bother to do that i remember steve finley i asked steve finley once why he was such a good outfielder and this is a good tip for kids and he would um he told me well the first 20 balls he would take in out in outfield when they used to do outfield practice back in the day he would stand in center field in his normal position, move around a little bit, and he would just project his eyes to where he thought the ball was going to hit when he came off the bat. So he put his eyes right there. So he would learn how to travel the ball. So he would get 25 balls without moving an inch. Smart move. Then he would take the last 20 on the move. So that's what that's the work it means to be. An, it doesn't mean just walk out there. Uh, we'll get to the play later, but Tim Beckham was the left fielder, and he's an infielder because all these – all the nerd GMs think anybody can play anywhere, and he goes out to left field. Well, the third base coach picks up how he was jogging out the left field, how he didn't seem sure of himself, and that became a, a, a winning run later because Beckham did, did the play. It was a crazy play, but it didn't happen. So so there's so much to be done as an out. There's a lot of work to be done as an outfielder if yeah. you want to work. And Finley was tracking like he would do as a hitter. I mean, that's what hitters do. Well, when, a, when an, an outfielder or an infielder loses the ball, what's the way? I know you want to add something to what Kevin said, but what's the what should they do? What's the verbal, the visual they should give to the rest of their teammates? Well, you know, uh, usually guys just throw both hands up in the air frantically and they look both ways and go, hey, I lost it. And, you know, this guy didn't have the wherewithal to do that. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Kevin, so many great points you brought up. Uh, I believe that was a Sunday day game. So, you know, there was no batting practice where he could have seen how the sky was and the fact that they don't take balls off the bat anyway and all the things that you pointed out about the um, the warning track. But, you know, that was standard procedure when you went to a ballpark on the road as a and, – and even, you know, someplace you had played many times – you still took balls off of the wall just to see, um, you know, you know, uh, like how how it comes off of the wall. Does it ricochet to the left or the right? Does it come off hard? Does it roll 
sometimes balls roll right along the wall. They get caught underneath of a pad, and that's where they roll. Like, uh, that was the impressive thing with Aaron Judge in 2018, was advancing up in Boston. They opened up. How many games had he already played in Boston at that point? Must have taken 30 or 40 balls in the corner in right field because Pesky Pole is a really tough place. Yeah, that's a tough spot, right? Yeah. So, you know, it takes work. It takes work to be good. And uh, the reason why we're not seeing good is because we don't see enough work to be good. It's not a lack of talent because physically these players have the tools. They're just not doing the reps to become good, and there's nobody – pointing out how important each one of these little things are to making your team a good baseball team. The, the managers and, and the coaches, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to kill them totally, but a lot. Um, they've given up. They're just, they're doing it for a paycheck instead of managing and coaching. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the decision-making seems to be taken out of their hands. They still get the accountability, but uh, boy, I'd love to see. I love what, that's why I like what Buck Showalter's doing. Sal, I think you texted us the other night. The, the, the Mets pulled off a squeeze. Did I see that right? Yeah. They actually, it was Nito who they said was their best punter. It was really a safety squeeze because the guy definitely didn't break on the pitch, but he was pretty far down the line. I forget who the, the runner was on third base. But uh, yeah, Nito, Sal, Nito, I believe, has eight or nine uh, uh, of uh, sacrifice punts this year, too. Yeah, I mean, he did it. He got it down the first base line. It was perfect. The first baseman fielded it, but you know, even a even in a safety squeeze, the guy was uh, safe by a mile. Well, that's what you do. Safety yeah. squeeze should work. Very, you could walk home on a safety squeeze yeah. if it's done properly. But again, getting back to my point originally, that's why the Mets are lapping the field now, and they, that's why they showed it. You know, they destroyed the brain. I said this on a couple of radio stations yesterday when I was traveling, uh, did some interviews, and. The Mets are just beating people at baseball. It's so simple. I mean, Buck's got to be laughing his ass off on the on the way home because all he's doing is playing baseball. And the you know, and what he did against the Braves was a great point. This is another good point for teams too. You're playing a big series, game one of that series. You show your best. You bring Diaz in for two innings to lock it down, so you win that game. And then you're playing with house money a little bit for the rest of the series. You know, don't, don't, so many of these, I see it all the time in amateur coaching. Two things I see in amateur coaching. They put the worst guys in the outfield when you got to put the better guys in the outfield. I can't tell you how many games are lost. I was watching the Little League World Series softball game uh, two days ago. Tennessee was playing Delaware, uh, and uh, Delaware was up 2 nothing the whole game. They gave up four runs or five runs in the last inning because their outfielders were playing too shallow, didn't know where to go, and, you know, we're not playing no doubles. It's kind of like what happened to the Rangers in the World Series years ago. So, so again, play, the outfield play to me is so important. And the second thing amateur coaches do is they save their best bullets for the future game. Don't save your best bullets. Win that game and then worry about the next game when you play it. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah, you can't win them all unless you win the first one. But, uh, you know, that's the lost thing with uh, modern baseball, um, people that never played, how big momentum is in a game, how big momentum is in a series. And Buck sees the first game of that series to take control of that series. And, um, like, as a pitching coach and as a pitcher, I was always taught, you know, you want to go out and win a game – okay, you're starting, get us back in here to hit. 
you know, three up, three down, strike one, first hitter. Let's not play around. And then my biggest pet peeve, and we see it all over baseball, when your team scores, go out and shut the team down. Not, you know, don't walk the first guy on four pitches because oh. now we just lost the momentum. And yeah. I see that happen all the time because these pitchers do not compete. They throw. Hey, yeah. Well, I just thought of a uh, uh, bull. I just thought of a great thought there. You got me go, going there, but you can't have momentum. You can't get Mo without men. You got to play like a man. You got to man up. That's exactly right. That sounds like the title of the next article right there for ball yeah. nine. I like it. What now? Something that, that I've worked with our young kids on because maybe this could go to the major league level too. But young kids, you, you got to teach them to win one thing at a time. We're talking about building habits. We always talk about you can't win the game unless you win every inning, and then kind of break it down from there. So after each inning, that's our goal. Yeah. Hey, we, we got to win inning one. I don't care if it's one nothing, two one, and it goes to that that mentality you mentioned, ball kind of that score and stop or stop and score mentality. Yeah. Do that every yeah. games. Those are great points. We we need to start teaching our kids to compete, you know, and, you know, truly go out there and teach them how to win a game. Teach them, you know, how to uh, how to seize a moment in the game and step up to it and be confident that they've done the work to be successful at that moment. Yeah. Well, I want, I want to get, get this defined for the kids and people out there so they know and then get to the, the catching stuff, home plate stuff that Kevin wanted to talk about because so do I. Um, anybody want to take it? S- safety squeeze for our kids out there. Explain what happens in a safety squeeze so they understand. Go ahead, Bull. You want to take that, Bull? Dave, you take it, Dave. Okay. okay. So uh, different than a suicide squeeze, I think we're more familiar with that with kids where it's the guy on third is as soon as there's movement home, he's going. The bunter has to put the ball down no matter what. It could be a ball strike. If it's out of the strike zone, you got to lean and get a piece of it. Um, so it just has a sound. It's do or die. Safety squeeze is a little bit different where the runner on third is not moving until they see that down angle. The bunter at the plate does not have to bunt, but preferably get the ball down first or third, not back at the pitcher so the pitcher can't make one of those hero plays that we see on Sports Center. So much like in the name, it's a little bit safer. Um, batter has a little bit more, uh, they can be a little bit more selective with it. And the runner again is making sure the ball's down before they're moving. And, and I don't ever remember, um, major league baseball being so so poorly equipped in terms of defending that as I do see now, I'm looking forward to seeing somebody buck Schultz are starting to do delayed steals too. Cause that's, that's when you pick on a lazy second baseman or a lazy catcher who doesn't throw it back on the pitcher. You know, those are great points. And, uh, the wisdom of the game of baseball, so self-explanatory. One is safe and the other one is do or die. So it's yeah. suicide. So, you know, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of wisdom with what, how this game was set up to be played and, you know, the way things are all the time. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, I, go ahead. Yeah, I can maintain about the bunting and get the bunt down. I mean, Dave said it, but get it down. Don't pop it up. You know, uh, don't, you know, get the right angle so the ball goes down, get it out in front of the plate or whatever, catch it, however you want to do it. There's different ways of doing it. But I want to point out one way. I, I think I could still bunt better. I would say better than probably half the major leaguers right now at, at my age, 69, and better than most amateur players. Because when I was in high school, way back when, uh, I had a coach, and you could never do this today, God forbid, 
but he made us bunt with the head of the bat. You know, right at the, uh, we had to turn the bat and we're holding the bat like a gun, like, you know, and we're pointing it at the pitcher and we had to bunt the ball off the the bat, the, the end of the bat, not not the barrel of the bat, not, not the handle, the end of the bat. And you, you practice that for like uh, 40 minutes in, in one day and you, you, you foul a few off into yourself or you, you hit your fingers here and there or, or you just miss you learn to become a better bunner, and it gets back to what Bull said: you got to work. And uh, I don't recommend that for anybody because that was a different era, 1970, 71. Better dental insurance back then. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm certainly not endorsing it. I'm just saying that's the way we did it. And here we are. How many years later? Uh, 52 years later, whatever. I can still bun better than most people. Yeah. No, I think, and for kids that are, we're talking technique a little bit now, bat head above the hands when you start, put the put the, you know, they want that at the top of the strike zone. So anything above that, you're going to lay off of. And you want to bunt it in fair territory, which means sometimes you got to creep up a little bit in the box, but not so much that you alert the catcher, a smart catcher behind the plate that sees you move up. Um, and and kind of don't move those hands up too quickly. But no, great points. Uh, I want to get to the, the home plate stuff, the catching stuff you wanted to talk to, Kevin. Tell us what you're seeing out there. What's got you fired up? Well, I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted with baseball and, you know, I, I hang with it cause I'm still doing work for it. But if I wasn't writing about baseball or talking about baseball, I don't think I'd be watching baseball anymore. I'd be watching rugby. And, um, and, um, the plays at home this last, last weekend, I think they were both Sunday and God bless Rocco Bodelli. He called it like it was uh, good for him. I have, a, I have a lot more respect for him. Uh, basically what happened was, his left fielder, who was Beckham, who's an infielder that was playing left field, got a very short fly ball that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, everybody would have been thrown out by 10 feet. But, uh, you know, because it's a new era and guys don't practice, Beckham caught the ball, double clutched, eventually threw home. Sanchez caught the ball and in the, in the motion of catching the ball, had to move his feet somewhere because your feet got to be on the ground. And I don't know if these new rules, and I blame Joe Torrey for this, um, uh, you know, the, the slide rule. So he makes the tag of Whit Merrifield, who slides directly in, which was a smart move by him. I don't think he ever got there. And, of course, he's called, he's called out at the play. The umpire calls him out. Good job by the umpire. Um, goes back to the replay center, and they, uh, they change it. He's called safe, and it becomes a winning run uh, for the Blue Jays. And as Rocco said, that's beyond embarrassing. It's the worst. He says one of the worst moments in umpiring any game I've ever been involved in. It w- it was pathetic. So he he must maybe maybe he's starting to listen to us. Uh, but it, it was pathetic. And I think what's going on. And Marty Foster made the call right, and then had to listen why they changed their minute. And and the same thing happened in the Baltimore game. The Baltimore catcher made a nice play. Got. Uh, Greg Allen in Pittsburgh, same day, got him out on a play, very similar. And Allen came up whining because that's what we've done now. We've created new whining ball players. They used to be out at home or they'd be covered in dirt or maybe in the old days they'd be, you know, wiping blood off their chin or their lips. Now they're whining to the umpire. Greg Allen gets them whining. Ah, he blocked the plate. He blocked the plate. And, of course, they, uh, they uh, went back to New York. He blocked the plate, God forbid. And uh, as a former catcher told me, Gary Allenson, he said, isn't it interesting that a second baseman can block second base as they slide into set, his leg down and block the base, but catchers can't. And he's not even talking about blocking the plate. 
their feet being there and their legs being there when they're making the play because the throw is taking them to it. But again, it's another example. And again, I blame Joe Torrey for this. And Joe's, I love Joe and everything, but he just tried to do the right thing, but they went too far as they often do. Now they've taken one of the great, most exciting plays out of the game. And I figured it out. I was thinking about this the other day. That's what they're doing. They're taking all the exciting plays out of the game. They're making it TikTok. It's not baseball anymore. It's TikTok. And, uh, you know, so now now that exciting hard slide home or hard play at home, you never see anymore. You never see the hard slide second anymore. You never see – you very rarely see first and third hit and run, all that stuff that the fans love. This is another example of the elites taking away exciting plays in the game and and making the game a much softer – gentle version you know pretty soon they should be playing with uh, you know with, with with softball so nobody gets hurt you know maybe maybe uh you know uh, it's just too it's too dangerous you know play the game right have some plays at home i'm not saying you come in and do a pete rose on the catcher blow him up that i could see being being called out that i would live with but if you're sliding at home and the catcher's catching the ball making a tag how in the world is, is he supposed to? There's no common sense because getting back to what Bull said, these guys making and Joe. That's why shame on Joe. But most of these guys enforcing these rules, get or forcing the the rules committee to come up with these rules, never played the game, have no clue about the game, and they've destroyed it. The when you have two managers, Brandon Hyde said the same thing. So in one Sunday, two managers blew up that rule of the slide rule at home plate time to change the rule, make baseball physical again. That's what I say. Yeah. Now with, so, so catchers in the audience. Now, if you watch the replay of Gary Sanchez from a technical standpoint, we don't compliment Gary Sanchez too often, but he had it perfect. He had his left foot right on the third baseline toes pointing toward the third base bag. He had his upper body squared up to the throw. He had his lower body bent in a strong athletic position and set south and talk to that. He was ready to receive impact, even though we don't allow it. When that throw happened, he did not move his lower body at all in terms of moving into the the baseline for the batter. He kept it right on that line. And that's how you teach young catchers how to receive the ball at the plate. And when he received, he took all that momentum into the base path. If you watch the base runner, Merrifield slid on the infield side of the line to almost initiate that for some reason. And I couldn't believe it. You guys shot me the video. Um, I thought you were joking. And then I saw it on Twitter immediately, and I saw Baldelli blow up, and and good for him. But, again, we, we see this one knee catching, um, guys not blocking balls. I think there was another one on third base yesterday. Got by, got, ball got by a major league catcher, run scores, go ahead, run. We see the blocking. We see the no hard slides at second base. Um, I agree. I mean, the, the, the toughness out of baseball, the, the exciting parts, the parts that kind of um, get people going, and, and it can make or break a game. They're gone. But uh, – if we don't get our catchers prepared for that, the way Gary Sanchez was, he was prepared perfectly. That should that would that's what should have been reinforced, not that he did something illegal to block a play. That's going to get a catcher hurt someday. Absolutely, and the uh, it's ironic you can't block the play, you can't block baseballs anymore. That's where catching is now. Catching is again getting to the nodes again. You know where catching is now? Catching is framing. Catching is framing. It's not catching anymore. It's not blocking. It's framing. So, you know what, nerds, take that game and shove it. I don't want to watch that game. Framing and uh, picking the right button for the uh, transmitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another one. Looking at your wristband and picking the right button. 
I think it gets back to something in general here. We're talk, we're kind of taking the, the manliness out of the game in so many ways. Yeah, taking the game away from the men that are playing the game. And, and believe me, I'm not kidding around. When I watch softball games now, high school, college, whatever, they play harder than the men. So this is don't I don't want to hear any garbage from anybody. You know, well, what about you, you being unfair to women? No, I'm saying the women are playing the game tougher than the men are at this point. What I'm seeing, the way they're diving for plays and making plays and running in the walls. Uh, you know, the, 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 we've taken the, 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 the thing that makes baseball a manly game away out of the game. Well, you know, you know it's funny, for, all the, for all the posturing about their conditioning and their training, that it, it's not showing up on the field, even in this case where, you know, you have all these tough guys throwing weights around, doing meaningless, meaningless exercises like the squat and the deadlift, and yet you're going to shy away from a little contact at home plate. I mean, it's it's really silly, and it's, it's amazing it got to this point, but it's not just baseball. So it's happening all around us. Well, I still love football for one reason. They can, you know, they, they still have to tackle somebody. You know, you know, and you know, I criticize some of the things they've done, but they really have the thing about football you can criticize is it's their own guys who are really in charge of whether or not they tackle with their head. I mean, I've coached and been around football for over 50 years, and I don't ever remember a coach teaching you to stick, uh, put you use your head to tackle now. You know, there were the phrase, you know, stick. Don't be afraid to stick your head in there. But that's no. that's a that's a, a euphemism or a phrase that's not instructive. No one has ever used their head or been taught to use their head to tackle. So you know, football's taken some of that away, and rightly so. And it's still the players that control that, and they still decide to use their head against their fellow union members and put them out of commission. But that's another discussion for another podcast. But baseball. You know, like Kevin said, take the safety out because the pitcher could throw at the batter when he squares to bunt with the guy on third. So let's take that let's take that out of the game because that could be dangerous too. The, the game is dangerous innately, you don't think. But if you do it right, the great thing was after the Sanchez play, after the play by uh, Chirinos in Baltimore, everybody got up healthy, you know. They all did the play with with it in mind of okay, we're not trying to hurt anybody here, but we our momentum will take us to certain areas in the baseball field, and you know if they leave a slide area that they want that these nerds want, that catcher is going to catch the ball off balance, put tag on off balance, probably will get upended and will get hurt more. So my 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 main point here is there's absolutely no common sense to the game anymore. And this is why Gary Allison, guys like that, sent me notes after that. They, they've already been done with it, but now they're really done with it. So baseball, here's, I commend you for creating a new game. Good luck with it. I don't want to see it or be a part of it. They're, they're, they're minimizing what is, a, in my opinion, the most valuable position on the field, the catcher. And, you know, we, we already have enough few good catchers out there historically. You know, there's, that's the, the – position that's in the Hall of Fame in terms of numbers, the least amount. Um, but but trickle on down the line, boy, sending an awful message. Was, this weekend from today through the weekend was was a bad few days for catchers, for young catchers. Well, well I want to bring up – I'm glad you mentioned that, Dave, and I, I don't want to interrupt, but, again, I'm, I'm, I'm on fire about this. It drives me insane. Yadier Molina is a great catcher, 
the things he does, I watch him and I marvel when I watch a game. Sometimes I don't watch as much Cardinal games as I should. But I watched it the other day when he had Jordan Montgomery pitching for the first time. Jordan Montgomery was a different pitcher against the Yankees because of Yadier Molina, what he did. And the, this guy, I don't want to hear any garbage, too, about him not being a Hall of Famer. He, he's, he's the best catcher I've seen in my lifetime going back to Munson. So Munson and Bench. And, uh, and, and, and he should, the catcher can do so much if you let him do so much. But what have we done to her? We've lobotomized the catchers. You can't think. You got a you got a earphone in your you got a phone, you got a earplug in your ear. They're gonna, we're going to tell you what to do. You push a button. It's almost like uh, you know they're becoming those uh, dogs that push the button for a treat. You know uh, uh, that that's what catching has become now. There's no thinking involved, and all the thinking is done in the think tank upstairs or in some back room where there's no light and there's 50 uh, interns sitting there. You know, googly-eyed looking at computer screens. I would have loved to have seen one of those guys, those interns, try to catch the, the ball that Gary Sanchez caught on the on the play at the point. Well, that's, a, that's another Try to keep your eye on that ball. Tim Beckham made an okay throw, but he didn't get the ball there quickly enough as normal guy would because he's not an outfielder. So my point is they've already put Gar- poor Gary in jeopardy there because they got an infielder playing the outfield because they think anybody can play anywhere. Now they want him to catch it in a certain way. It's a joke. Yeah, right. I agree. And I, I want to, I know uh, we're getting close on time here, but I want to kind of send, send Kevin, I want to send you off on a happy note here. I know you, you wrote a, an awesome article on Vince Scully, had a special relationship with him. Um, and, uh, and actually, I, I saw that great picture on Twitter with you at Derek Jeter's last game too. I thought that was that was a, a great picture of you and him. But um, talk a little bit about the Vince Scully. I want everybody to read it. So don't share so much. But those that haven't read it, please go to Ball Nine and read. But share some a couple of good stories about Vince Scully. I want to send you off on a happy note. And you're going to see the grandkids later today. So get you in a good mood for them. Oh, I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood when I can call out the nerds because they need to be called out. Because my brethren in the media need, need, need to do a better job at it. To be honest with you. Uh, so I'm in a great mood. And uh, and actually, I, I, the, that picture was from the captain. So, I, you know, that I've, I've been in the captain and the last dance. Not many reporters do that. As I said, I earned my money when yeah. I worked for a certain newspaper. And um, But, uh, yeah, Vin was a great guy. I love Vin because he loved baseball. He loved everything about baseball. He loved the people. He saw the positives in the sport. Because, and you know what, to Vin's credit, Vin was in baseball when it was baseball. You know, he had those great 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even up until 2000, you know, 16, I believe he retired. So I used to always see Vin when I went out to L.A. The last time I, that he was still working, uh, they, they hooked up, hooked me up with him for a uh, the Dodgers people because I, I have a lot of respect in the Dodger organization. People like Stan Kasten uh, love what I do. And um, Stan sent me a nice note on that as well. So Steve Brenner, Benner, who's a... Uh, PR guy out there, um, he he set, he he hooked up the interview and and again Ben and I know each other we talk all the time and I did this nice piece uh, back then in 2016 and he told me some great things about the game what made it special he's baseball's best friend Harry Rose said it you know to me that day and stuff like that so he's always been baseball's best friend um, I don't want to spoil the story go read it it's a great story um, yeah. Because you're going to learn more about Vin and more about the game and where he came from. You know, he goes, 
Ben went to church every Saturday night, you know, very religious guy. And that 2016, and I talked to him about a year ago, so I, I still had that conversation on tape. And we, uh, you know, I, I dug some quotes out of that one as well. And we had a great conversation about Gil Hodges, Jackie Robinson, and, and all that stuff. But Ben, um, and there's a million, believe me, there's been a lot of great Ben stories out there because he was so great to so many people. But I think this story is special. So uh, go, go read it. Enjoy it and understand what baseball uh, really was. And and Vin also, one last point. When Vin came in in 1950, broadcasters didn't have the, the place, the position in the game they did now. He told me that when he was in Cincinnati, he, he just picked out that stadium. But the writers did not like broadcasters, at least out there. And uh, they wouldn't let him use the press room bathroom. So how about this for a little story? I didn't get this in the story, so, but this is some insight for our listeners. Um so Vin, calling a major league game, would have to run down to the next level, to the nearest men's room in Cincinnati, t- take a take a leak with the fans, you know, and get back up and make the next call. But then when he gets to New York, he was a New York guy for him. Dick Young took care of him. And God bless the New York baseball writers. They looked out for Vin. They, they, they kind of uh, watched out, made sure everything was done right for him. And soon, you know, soon things changed a little bit and the broadcasters became super important. But the New York writers stood up for Vin way back when. So I'm, I'm proud to be part of that heritage. Yeah. Now, it, I always marvel at the way you, you ask questions, not just to the people that you write stories about, but on the show. You pulled out a great story from, from Fred Clare that included him and Vin Scully. Fred, obviously, being the former... Uh, president of the Dodgers, but also has a marketing media background about Rick Monday. Would you would you end the show by sharing that story in light of what we talked about pre-show? I thought it's, a, it's an apropos way to, to kind of end that show with that the show with that well, story. I, I'll let you. I don't. I'm, I'm not great at remembering stories sometimes, so <laughs> I'm, I'm going to skip that. Rick, Rick Monday and the flag. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Basically, what he, he uh, what what Fred did was he made the message boards. You know. He put something on the message board that was very important, and uh, and I, I forget the story to be honest with you right now. Yeah, no, I think I think you pulled it out. It was some of the was great play, Rick Monday, and it was uh, Fred. Fred mentioned it to, to Vince Scully, and they put it up on the scoreboard for it. But right. uh, you, uh, yeah, you, you you pulled that out of them. I mean, it was that was a great addition to that that particular interview. Go back and listen to that. But guys, great show today. Uh, for fifty years, so and I listen to sometimes now these these games and these questions. You got to live in the moment. That's that's my one advice on on reporting. I'll give right here. Live in the moment. You know, know your history. Don't don't be afraid to ask the tough question. I mean, I I listen to so many questions and and make your questions shorter. They're so long now. They give them in. They give them an in and out. What would you do? What about this? Would it be that way? Just ask the dumb question. Ask any question. Get it out there. Get an answer. Listen to what they say and react to the answer, and then you'll have some answers. I mean, I would love to have Rob Manfred on the show right now and say, what the hell are you doing with that catching rule, that slide rule? makes no sense. How can you defend that? And he'd give us some gobbledygook, and most of the writers would just nod their head and, and reframe what he said. Yeah, well, that, that's what makes your style so great. It's, it's to the point, and as I always describe it as complicated simplicity. It's, well, it's not uh, very simplicity. I mean, most of us can't get to that. Yeah, and I'm also, uh, when I say America's most beloved sports writer, I don't mean it uh, exactly that way. It can be taken the other way, too, because I, I piss off a lot of people. 
Well, it's because you, you make them tell the truth. It's uh, I know we, we appreciate you on the show and God, I, to the audience out there, I know they listen, but to those, or they, they read, but follow Kevin on ball nine. Great, great resource for baseball. Kevin's as in tune with the, the, the deepest people in baseball as you can imagine. And Bull, thanks to you again on the show for, for adding your in-depth. Thanks for sitting in yesterday with, with Justin and Sal. Great insight today on, on everything. I, I love your points of, you know, awareness over overhaul with the athletes today. And let's, let's build back the toughness with our, our young hey, kids. Let me interrupt Guys, thanks time. for everything. I want to interrupt oh, one last time. I want, I, want to, I want to add something new to the show. I want to leave the show with Sal giving us some kind of exercise for the week for young athletes. Well, I think one of the best things and most important things anybody could uh, work on is their posture. And everybody has the postural muscles to do so. So uh, if during the course of the day you find that you're hunched over your phone or your laptop or your tablet whether it's you're on a train or you're in your car, every time you find that your posture is suffering, get yourself upright just like you know you're supposed to, which is get your back straight, get your chest up, get your shoulders relaxed, and you want to have your head upright. And if you have a mirror nearby, you want to make sure that your head's not craned forward. And if every time you catch yourself, or most of the times you catch yourself slumping, uh, slouching, just pull yourself up into that position, count to 10, and then try to hold it after you've forgotten or after you stopped counting and just keep doing that throughout the day. And that's a great way to get yourself uh, posturally better. And it'll also help your breathing. Would you recommend doing that one of those big, uh, with those exercise balls doing that as well? Or it doesn't matter. What's that? I I couldn't hear part of that. Would you you recommend sitting on one of those exercise balls to do that as well? One of those. No, just no. Just get in a chair. Get your back off of the back of the chair or a stool. Get your feet flat on the ground, and just you know, sit with good posture and correct it, and stop what you're doing, and for ten seconds do that, and then keep doing what you were doing after that, trying to hold that posture, and over the course of time, your posture will improve greatly. Good advice. I love it. I like that addition to the show, Kevin. Sal, be prepared. We'll, get, we'll hit you up every time. I'm always ready. Love it. Um, I, hey, we, tune didn't, in we, didn't, next. we didn't pre-plan that. I put Sal on the spot right there. I know. You, you, uh, he's good, though. Sal, Sal's, uh, he can do that anytime. But be, be prepared for uh, our show next week. We have Steve Keener, president of Little League Baseball, coming on right before the, the World Series starts in Williamsport. We're fortunate to have him on next Tuesday. Please follow us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Subscribe to us. Like us. uh, Subscribe gives us the numbers we need to keep bringing you this show. Um, Thanks again, guys, for a great episode 21, and we will tune in next week to you. See you guys. Thanks.